<laughs> ah, I don't even know where to start, y'all. Uh, hi, my name's Marshall Pruitt. I am an IndyCar reporter. I've been an IndyCar reporter for, I don't know, like 15 years now, maybe a little longer. Uh, before that, uh, worked in IndyCar, been involved in open wheel racing for 30 something years, three, four, I don't know, a long time. I love it. It's my favorite thing in the world and it never fails, never fails to amuse. So funny thing happened today. Uh, Tuesdays are often the days where uh, we are in chemotherapy my wife my amazing wife who uh, just celebrated a birthday she has been fighting and making immense progress kicking breast cancer's ass in just a little fyi there's probably going to be a number of earmuffs moments this episode uh so cover your ears and if you have children in the room or in the car or whatever uh you might hit the pause button or put some earmuffs on them uh she's been kicking cancer's ass doing great wonderful just truly but tuesdays are usually the days and number of delays today we're normally home by mid-afternoon but lo and behold things did not go as intended and we weren't ready to leave until about 4 15 i think it was california time pacific standard time um so with my little work laptop in hand uh was just getting ready to uh, pack up and go uh, my wife was just about ready to get up and go and uh just a little bit past 4 30 and hey actually at 4 39 p.m while uh sitting in the hospital there in the nice little room they set aside for folks going through chemo um an interesting email landed uh, with the title of indycar champion alex polo to join mclaren racing in 2023 uh i did a full cartoon <laughs> what wasn't a total surprise and i'll get to that in a minute but just the timing of it oh boy so and hey guess what uh funnily enough about three, four hours earlier, wrote a little story that had a uh, an entirely different headline of Alex Pillow continues with Chip Ganassi Racing. So, hey, uh, one guy, two teams, same series? I don't know. It's another question. But, so, guess what? When we got home at about five o'clock today uh been a little busy it's a good thing it's what i do it's my job not complaining quite happy to do it but i can tell you that the original plan prior to this email landing from mclaren at 4 39 p.m on a tuesday afternoon was to get home have a quick bite of something and then record this very week in indycar listener q a podcast using your questions that are submitted every week that drive the conversation we review the race that just happened look at the one that's coming up talk about something big that happened whatever it might be well it's not exactly five o'clock um haven't had dinner yet uh our cat rocky is riding shotgun with me he's on my left he has had dinner and has had the balls to complain constantly that he wants a snack i've been trying to explain to him that you know what 
uh, Pops here hasn't even had dinner, and you're complaining you haven't had dessert, so you can kind of go screw yourself, buddy. But it's 10.33. I told you I was going to do this podcast tonight, and I am. I am not drunk. I am hungry. I am running on an empty stomach. I mentioned those things for one reason. It's because I decided that, although I don't do drunk reporting, uh, and I don't think one beer is going to get me all the way there, I did see that I had one of one of my new favorites given to me by a member by members of the Prude listener group, lovely uh, hundred plus folks who've banded together uh, in and around the show and have become good friends and chat on a daily basis. And you're welcome to join them if you like. I'll give you that info at the end of the podcast. But the uh, the Prude in a batch of just love sent not so long ago a bunch of my beloved dark beers, and so I'm holding in my hand. The beer with maybe the best name ever makes me think of Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan's Jack Harvey. Uh, it is made by Oddside, and it is the Bean Flicker. <laughs> so <laughs> I feel like my bean's been flicked a couple times today, y'all. So I'm going to crack open this Bean Flicker, and it's even the special Karen edition, Pumpkin Spice. So oh i'm loving this oh thank you odd side and i'm gonna place it on speaking of thank you uh young indycar and north american racing reporter jack benyon a rock from the uk uh he happened to like one of the photos that i took at road america uh sent it to him and to my great surprise, in the mail late last week, I saw a small little parcel from the UK where Jack is from and lives and wasn't sure what it was and opened it up. And Jack mentioned that he was telling his fiance that uh, the only place where that photo would look better was on a coaster beneath a beer. And so she said, well, why don't you have some coasters made? <laughs> and so Jack, who works for The Race, and no joke, uh, I think that kid's got crazy talent and massive respect to the work that he does and his eye and all that stuff like truly double thumbs up for jack benyon uh but independent of all that he sent me two coasters and it's just like the sweetest thing and so how could you not love that so jack benyon rock star uh, he does a podcast by the way uh with my pal jerry hildebrand um and I've actually got some other news coming up in and around JR. That was actually what I was meant to be writing and finishing up after the podcast here earlier, but uh, I'll try and get that done tomorrow. If you think the Pelo story is wild, there's another one. Um, I don't know where it fits on the wild uh, radar, but I love it nonetheless. So I'm going to put this beautiful, beautiful bean flicker on the new coaster from Jack Benyon. Rocky, dude, are we going to do this the whole show? Probably. Uh, and we're going to get going here with a quick thanks, quick, quick thanks to y'all for all the questions you sent in to our pal, real pal, Jerry Sudduth, who puts them together for me each week, uh, picks what we use, the order that they come in, et cetera, et cetera. Also a big thank you to Cooper tires, the justice brothers and Toronto motorsports.com. So let's get rolling with your Q and a, Normally try and keep the show to about an hour uh, in light of this little poop show that fell in our laps. Is that possible for 
poop to fall in your lap i don't know but uh just go with me on that one uh we're gonna kick this off here uh with an opening question from our pal jj gertler who says marshall while cleaning out a cabinet at my relatively newly acquired house i discovered 10 bottles of guinness no idea how old they are should i send them your way for testing i think that might have also been in reference to uh my request for insights on more dark beers to try guinness obviously everybody knows that but i think that might have been jj's really polite way of saying you're probably going to want to knock back 10 bottles of guinness uh tonight so i wish we were close uh at least in distance jj because i would be picking them up and knocking them back right now uh robbie bergren you open up the uh, main theme here alex below Who's he going to drive for next year? Who isn't he going to drive for next year? How did all this crap happen? Uh, I'll get to your specific question in a moment, Robbie. Uh, there's also one following that from Brian Haywood. And I'll just share this item. I'm going to talk about a decent number of things related to this here on the podcast. Hopefully, it'll be both uh, informative and entertaining. I also... Uh, having just kicked off this podcast at 10.33 or so p.m. on a Tuesday night, finished throwing together about 2,000 words on this subject, exploring not everything. I cannot get into everything, but as much as I could, that's all on racer.com. I'm hoping it'll go up tonight. Uh, Racer editor Mark Lendenning told me it was received, and uh, I hope he's has the energy to power through 2000 words of editing and post it. But, uh, if there are any other angles that aren't discussed here, you certainly might check out, uh, goodoldracer.com and see what is happening, uh, with the rest of the stuff on the subject. So among the, the two main items that Jerry chose here from Robbie and Brian in the general thing from everybody on social media, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to name names obviously, but, uh, the number of IndyCar drivers, uh, mechanics, um, others who've reached out, called, uh, it's been wild. Um, I still have a lot of folks to get back to, but I can tell you that everybody is curious, even myself, who's trying to understand all the angles, what's going on. Why is this happening? Where did this come from? Not a total surprise. Uh, it truly wasn't the timing of it was a bit of a shocker. Uh, with the McLaren announcement, a double announcement of two teams claiming to uh, to have a ring, to have had Alex Pillow put a ring on it. So uh, let's go with Robbie, who opens up the general topic. MP, any thoughts on Pillow announcing he won't stay with CGR today? Says, do you think uh, McLaren uh, would move him to Formula E? Funny you say that, Robbie. Uh, one of the folks uh, who I did speak with from the paddock, uh that was one of the topics mentioned so all right again there's probably 58 bullet points to this we could dive into we won't uh we all have lives don't know if we're going to stick to an hour for the show but we're not going to go crazy here and do two or three this is a really important thing to recognize which i'm sure most or all of you spotted already I mentioned this in one or two of the things that I've written for Racer. This did not land as a press release from Aero McLaren SP. This came from McLaren Racing. Also, very much worth noting in this uh, press release, 
from McLaren saying that it has signed, as in <laughs> a done deal with Alex Pillow. Uh, if you look within that, you look within the release, uh, and granted, you know, I, I used all of it that was worth, uh, or, you know, all the valuable stuff in my story. I'm sure every other Nikar or whatever reporter did the same thing. There is no mention of Aero McLaren SP. Pillow will drive for Aero McLaren SP. There's no mention he will drive for McLaren F1, Formula E, Extreme E, uh, Andretti, Walkinshaw United, uh, United Auto Sports. Um, there's no specific situation mentioned where he will race. It says that he will race for the team next year. It says he will join the team at the conclusion of the 2022 season. Nothing is written saying exactly what he will be doing next year other than racing in an undefined series or multiple series. Again, we don't know. It also mentions he will be testing part of the uh, uh, TPC, testing a previous car program that Colton Herta just jumped into on Monday and Tuesday in Portugal and that Pato did uh, Pato did or will do or something like that. And then that's another point we'll get to with another question, but just need to be really clear here. This was not a, uh, air McLaren SP press release saying Alex blows driving for us in IndyCar next year. If that ends up happening, then that's just information that will need to be disseminated at a later date. This also follows, as I mentioned, and as you all probably know, Chip Ganassi Racing putting out a release three and a half-ish, four hours earlier, saying, hey, Alex is coming back. Uh, as we've spoken about on the podcast before, not breaking any news here, but it's well understood that Alex signed a two-year deal with CGR and that there are multiple options as well that kind of contract not unfamiliar in indycar it's another good thing to know uh there's no such thing as a quote indycar contract meaning everybody has the same thing teams all do different things but there are a number of teams that also work from kind of the same template in terms of contracts would also probably not be a surprise for some of you to learn that uh there are different lawyers that the different teams use to create driver contracts, employee contracts, all contracts. But there are also a couple that are pretty popular. And so you might find out that this team's primary lawyer that does their contracts is the same that does them for this team and that team as well. And while those contracts, I'm sure, will have subtle nuances that are different, just coming back to the point here that hey, a driver like Polo signed a contract that was for X amount of years, period, but also at the end of that term had team-based options. That is a pretty common thing. The team-based option, what does that mean? It means the team has the power to decide if they want to enact that option. Obviously, you'd hope the team would talk to the driver about it beforehand, but in those contracts, which are somewhat common, it is the team that holds the power of that decision. Huh. So we've known about this. Known that 
Alex is going to be quote out of regular contract at the end of the season, but not truly out of contract with Chip Ganassi racing known that there's an option to take up. So with today's announcement wasn't a shocker chip Ganassi two weeks ago, whenever I spoke to him, gave me some quotes, told me that we expect status quo next year. I followed up saying, could you please define exactly what you mean by that? He berated me a little bit, probably as he should. He's like, look, idiot. Uh, it means those who are here are the ones who are coming back. Okay. Got it. So your four drivers you got now are going to be your four drivers next year. Yes. Okay. Got it. Just making sure couple points here just throwing out a couple things we're, we're going to circle around uh, and maybe drive towards uh, a little bit of a conclusion here not too long so if we look back to some reporting that took place by me and by others uh end of may i think it was uh, had been hearing throughout may that uh there had been a outreach from mclaren to alex Pillow. in light of all the stuff i just mentioned with contracts has never seemed like much of a thing, right? Hey, anybody could reach out, you know, <laughs> uh, Toto Wolf has called Alex Pillow and said, Hey, we're going to sign you to a contract next year. Great. Sign away. Doesn't matter though, because the current team holds an option. And if they decide to exercise that option, which you would think they would, he's the defending IndyCar series champion. He's really freaking good. Why would you want to let that kind of talent go? Uh, I mean, again, anybody could sign the guy. I mean, I don't know if they actually have legal grounds to sign, but I'm just saying anybody could put a contract in front of Alex or whomever else, and they could sign, 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 sign. But as long as the team holds that option, it's all pretty meaningless. So there you go. We knew about it, knew that there was an outreach to Alex. The origins of that I'm now beginning to wonder about. Uh, was that something where someone within McLaren was like, hey, uh, hello, he's good. We should try and get him. Um, did Alex's management team, you know, knock on McLaren's door and say, Hey, uh, we think maybe contractually, I don't know. He could be had, uh, Hey, uh, what do you think? I, again, I don't know. Pure speculation as to where the motivation came from to knock on, uh, or to ring Alex Pillow's doorbell among who knows how many other drivers whose doorbell might be rung why not go to joseph newgarden who knows maybe they did why not go to run down the list nonetheless polo someone that the team we know reached out to that all went pretty quiet pretty quickly i have a a firm belief no direct knowledge but just let's be practical here Chip Ganassi is not one who likes a lot of things being put out in the world that aren't complimentary, maybe question, place a little bit of jeopardy on strength and fortitude and that kind of thing. The public, hey, a big team's trying to poach your guy. Like that's the kind of thing, personality-wise, that would just make Chip bristle and want to train some... Uh, train the uh, the water hose on that to put out that fire uh coming out of may the questions of hey alex Pillow, uh we hear you might be going to mclaren or mclaren wants you or whatever 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 the quotes if you might have seen them heard them or remember uh alex man you want to talk about hey 
everything is awesome. Would never want to leave. Uh, I'm exaggerating a bit, but hey, nope, all's good. Don't want to leave. Uh, happy here. Everything's awesome. Uh, Chip Ganassi. Rah, rah, rah. Um, do I think that was 100% factual, awesome, and coming from a place of, of real honesty? Uh, you, you'd have to question that right now wouldn't you um you'd have to wonder whether that was just truly acquiescing to uh alex's boss saying hey uh no this is not going to live on and take on a life of its own and i'm not going to be asked about this ad nauseum for the the rest of the year when it like you quiet this down now i could easily see that happening but that's just a guess but does that mean everything was happy and peaceful and wonderful? Clearly not. So while things quieted down and appeared to be on track and maybe on track from the Ganassi side, uh, I had chip tell me everything staying the same driver wise in a different story. I think, uh, responding to the McLaren going after Polo that not going anywhere, then going after Scott Dixon. Uh, Chip was was pretty clear again in saying, I've asked my guys. They say they're good. They don't want to leave. Uh, I have no intention of letting them go, you know, uh, prematurely. So just another point of the, the appearance of all being good from Alex's side and from Chip's side and everyone's on the same page so let's fast forward to one thing that has changed the entire dynamic it's not the announcement from chip ganassi racing today it's not the mclaren announcement today it is alex's social media statements that changes this entire dynamic those statements are made in reaction to the Ganassi press release. I get that. But there was a decision made by Alex. And I'm not saying this in a critical way of him at all. Truly, none of this is, right? I'm just reading what has happened. There was division disagreement, not happiness going on behind the scenes between the team and Alex for a while. The desire to receive an increase in pay, as I have heard told from, I have lost track of how many people over the last couple of months, was at the heart of this situation. Is that Alex being greedy? I would say no, not at all. Never seen his contract. For those who know the Chip Ganassi racing team, they are pretty consistent in saying we don't talk about contracts there are other teams that do but if you've ever seen anything from ganassi regarding contracts and any specifics about anything this is going on forever decades uh you get the same line we don't talk about contracts most of their drivers over the years have said the same thing parroting the exact same phrasing from chip sorry don't talk about contracts um Never seen it, never will. Uh, team's not talking about it. He's not talking about it. 
that's fine. But I can tell you that from it's mostly drivers, some of it driver managers, but uh, again, another thing where I just stopped counting uh, how many people were telling me this uh, since the beginning of the year, early into the season, Alex's original contract was not one that pays him much money. And if I'm this team or any team, I'm doing the same exact contract. Because if you remember the situation for where he entered Chip Ganassi Racing, it was coming off of a single year with Dale Coyne Racing, where he showed some promise on occasion, ended up finishing kind of unremarkable 16th in the championship. I realize we're not talking he was driving for Team Penske or Andretti or whatever. I get Dale Coyne is not a big powerhouse like some of the others, but even then, did good, had to learn everything for the first time. You know, there, there are plenty of reasons you can explain away why 16th wasn't that bad. But at the same time, he's a kid who showed promise, seemed to be eager, picked up the ovals pretty quickly, which is what Ganassi told me. That's what drew his interest, right? They had a seat to fill and there's nobody that really jumped out at them as either super coveted or super available who they did want. And so again, not, not speaking ill of Alex, but it was kind of a, Hey, let's give it a try. We don't know what we're getting. I wrote about that at the time. He said it, they said it like, Hey, we hope this works out and we hope it will, but yeah, let's go do some races and find out what does the guy do? Wins the first race goes on a tear, uh, becomes IndyCar champion on debut with Chip Ganassi racing. It's amazing. Truly one of the greatest stories for any driver, uh, this century in IndyCar still doesn't change the fact that when he arrived at the team, he had nothing to sell. There was no, I'm a race winner. I'm a champ. I'm a whatever. Um, and so you would expect a contract to be pretty damn modest. Uh, we're going to do a couple years, got some options after that. Uh, but yeah, you know, prove us, prove to us, show us that you deserve a big bump. Give us a reason to pay you a lot. Like that's again, not an uncommon thing. You see that in other sports, they call it a prove it contract where a rookie or a young player or someone who didn't really pan out. Somewhere else goes to another team, signs a somewhat modest contract, and hey, there are kickers and risers and all kinds of things here, bonuses if you can outperform uh, your contract. Well, the kid wins a championship in his first try with the team. So not a surprise, right, that he would enter into year two going, hey, ding, 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 I'm that guy. I, I way outperformed uh, this contract. The rumors that I've been hearing from lots and lots of folks is, hey, Pelot's looking to get paid. And again, got to totally agree that he's worth it. So hearing more of that in May, and it was getting louder in May and louder in May. Keep in mind, still under contract. Uh, so it's kind of the team's decision to whether we're going to bump you up or not. Um, I don't know where all that went right? I truly don't know where all that went. If the team did end up offering him more, didn't offer again, can't tell you exactly how that panned out, but I can tell you the things that were heard 
about offers from McLaren involved. Hey, money, money, money. Uh, trust me, you're going to be well compensated more than anything though. And this is, this is the other big item to keep in mind with this whole two team announcing two teams, announcing the same guy on the same day. As I understood it, as I've spoken about on the show here, when this first came up in June about the, Hey, what's going on with Polo and McLaren, everything I've heard beyond the desire for more compensation and all these things was Alex wants to go to formula one and there are no other teams that he knows of works within or orbits around in his day job that can get him there other than McLaren racing. And so I think this ties back to, Hey, nobody or no series was declared as to what Alex will be doing next year. Do I think that means he's doing F1? No. I mean, he would still need to earn enough points. I believe, I don't know how many he needs, but, um, getting him set for a super license, I know would be, uh, one of the things that would have to happen. So, but we did see in that release that testing and, uh, cracking that door open in F1 is part of what he would be doing provided he joins, uh, McLaren racing. So discord though, that's the, the part to come back to here, some sort of discord disconnect, uh, other things that start with the letter D that aren't good. That's been the ongoing rumbling, even though Polo seemed to make nice and no, 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 I don't want to go anywhere. Everything's good. I'm happy. And Chip saying, Hey, my guys say they're good and don't want to go and everything's happy and they're staying and so on. Still been the, the rumblings and undercurrent of dissatisfaction and whether it is purely a thing of finances or whether it's a feeling of disrespect hey why are we still talking about this in may or june or whatever why wasn't this done on you know uh, january 1st or pick the time knowing that he won the championship last year at the end of september could such a thing fester a little bit lead towards some resentment as nice as Alex is, as much as we love him, he's a member of the Prude listener group of this podcast. Like, truly, we love the guy. He's our guy. We, we haven't spoken a ton lately. I know, you know, other than, you know, we have in person, but just, you know, these aren't the kinds of things that Alex tends to crack open and talk about uh, over however long we've known each other. So haven't really gone there with him. But I can tell you that from the external things that I've been hearing, despite the public appearances, there's still been a rift. And maybe we'll find out. Maybe he'll tell me, tell someone else. You'll read about it, listen to it, whatever. I can't tell you. But going beyond what McLaren can offer with Formula One testing, getting him to a super license, getting him maybe into F1, again, who knows? We got Colton Herta, got Pato Award. Everybody wants to drive for McLaren, or at least drive in Formula One, uh, as a result of of testing and whatnot with the team. But beyond all these big carrots that are dangled, I would love to learn about what this trigger point has been, what this mechanism of of 
disdain that appears to have come out and been displayed through social media. So that's where I think it's probably the best kind of jumping off point here. I know we got uh, uh, another question on the topic from Brian Haywood, and we'll get to that in just a second. It'll, it'll be a super quick one to uh, to get through. But So let's get down to what I really see is the big difference here from the first Pelot to McLaren scenario. With all the aforementioned disruptions and disharmony and everything else again that starts with the letter d seemingly as things are kept behind the scenes even if folks like me and other reporters hear these rumors and rumblings of uh problems with the marriage as long as these things are truly kept behind the scenes not subject to airing of that dirty laundry in public you have options, even if it's going to take a while. And uh, this is a, a broken relationship. We've seen teams and drivers fall out before and come back together. Might take weeks, might take months, but we've seen that happen before. It's when these things move from the realm of privacy to the public domain, it pretty much kills that chance. So as we spoke about this last month, Again, lots of uh, ideas and thoughts and general tones of, hey, the guy's under contract or they have some options to exercise. He's not going anywhere. Um, something needs to get figured out. Something needs to be made happy. But hey, that, that can all happen because that's still an option. When this goes public, whether it's here in IndyCar or any other major sport, where a star athlete just starts venting on the team and venting in a very serious manner, it becomes very hard to put all that back together. Not only do egos get bruised, but if you think about the men and women who own major sporting teams and tend to have major sponsors, major corporate partners, everything is major at that most senior level, public embarrassment being dressed down, having your character called into question, being called, and I'm not attributing all this to what Alex said, but all the things we've seen from whatever athletes being called a liar and a cheater and a this and a that. Once these things start happening in public, on social media, in front of a camera, whatever it is, pick the sport. How often do you see that star athlete go back to that same team, whether they have a valid multi-year contract or not? How often do we see everything get repaired and go back to being happy and, most importantly, championship caliber, game-winning, race-winning caliber? Not saying it's never happened. I'm just saying the odds are so, so out of favor for it happening that what you end up seeing more often than not is the team cutting that player if that contract allows for it or a trade is found, something that says, even if we don't want it because you're a very valuable contributor to scoring points or winning races or whatever it is, this has gone ugly, it's gone nuclear, it's gone public, and we're not going to engage in weeks or months-long shit-fighting on Twitter, TikTok, wherever, 
MySpace. That's where teams with these prideful, wealthy, upstanding men and women who own and run and are very visible, it's where we tend to see them step off, step back, and say, all right, uh, we're figuring it out, but you're getting your ass out of here. I am not saying that Alex wrote anything that was so inflammatory or crazy that it would have enraged Chip or whomever else at the team, but a pretty clear line was drawn and statement was made. Knowing how smart Alex is, I would struggle to think that this was just a random, uh, casual, uh, spur-of-the-moment type thing that was written um such things tend to have intent behind them not just the airing of a grievance but also a desired effect from airing that grievance mention another thing too i realize alex hasn't been in indycar for super super long two and a half years and he hasn't had a bunch of big dramatic spicy exchanges with drivers or otherwise during that time just in a very general sense we don't see a lot of alex uh blowing up on social media dressing people down you this you that you did this you that's not really his character i know he let go and marcus erickson after they came together at road america and he, he kind of uh walked that back the following day but this just isn't the Alex Polo on Twitter that we are accustomed to seeing. And so this yet again just leads me to a belief that this is real. This is something where he does not want to be there anymore. Whatever the true heart of this failed relationship might be, maybe we will find out in time. But as Rocky knocks over a clock on my desk... Thanks, buddy. Um, this is just something that is not headed towards a positive reconciliation, even if his contract with Ganassi is a thousand percent valid, upheld by every court, and they all say you must drive for this team. It is really not in the team's best interest, just like it is in no other team's best interest when you have a driver, a player who does not want to be there. Rarely do you get the best from them. Rarely does the environment in the clubhouse, in the locker room, under the tent, or in the engineering offices stray in a super positive direction. When you have something go bad like this, you need to stop it before it spreads and creates bigger problems. And one of Chip Ganassi Racing's greatest assets is its chemistry. I know Alex might not feel the same at this moment, but they didn't reel off a championship last year, and he isn't sitting fourth in the standings right now because they all have poor chemistry and fail to get along. That will indeed likely uh, be changing here ASAP, but this is something that stands out to me as something that even if Chip Ganassi Racing has everything in their favor, every ruling in their favor, if Alex is as truly tired and ready to go and ready for a divorce as he is presented by taking this public, 
probably be best to figure out a handsome buyout price from McLaren and let this go than try and engage in weeks and months of litigation, ugly litigation that will still end up, even if it rules in Ganassi's favor, lead to a driver who still doesn't want to be there and is certainly going to be a situation that could jeopardize the overall competitiveness of the team. Uh, Robbie, thank you for your question, brother. Uh, Brian, you're up next here with a quick little follow-up. Safe to assume that Pelot is in the third Air McLaren SP car next year, uh, and who would take over the 10 car for Ganassi? Not safe to assume he'll be in that third uh, Air McLaren SP car, as I mentioned earlier, but that is one of the other main questions. Uh, Until we hear from McLaren Racing or Chip Ganassi or a judge or whomever, until we get a, a nod on both where he will be driving next year uh, and then if it does end up being McLaren, is that in IndyCar uh, or is that who knows where else? We would naturally assume it would be IndyCar. But will that be the case? Um, can't say. Just I'll reiterate once again, leaving Chip Ganassi Racing's number 10 Honda to drive Arrow McLaren SP's number 6 Chevy has never been the thing that I have heard about or known to be the motivating factor for Alex Pillow. If that is something that he were to end up doing while doing F1 testing and hopefully some free practice ones, and hopefully the team would say, yes, uh, we want to push you towards an F1 seat. F1's the thing, not just swapping IndyCar teams. So, that's one major thing to think about. As for the 10 car, if this ends up being a, uh, a seat that is vacant, as I just mentioned, it sounds like that's where it would be in the team's best interest to point things. This might sound a little spicy towards Alex. This guy is amazing. This guy is truly incredible. It's not like the team doesn't know how to find good drivers it's not like the team hasn't won a ton of championships with other drivers so do i think that losing alex would be something that they really did not like yes do i think that there could be someone or or more than one driver in the current paddock who might not be signed for next year that they would look at could it be arenas vk possibly uh, what about a Callum Eilat? I know he said he plans to go back to Hunko's Hollinger Racing, but I just don't know because I haven't checked in with him or Ricky yet. Uh, I did call Ricky today. He uh, said he was actually flying back from Argentina, so I'll try him in the morning. But uh, is Callum a done deal? If not, I bet he would certainly draw some immediate interest uh, there. Uh, Formula 2 championship leader Felipe Drogovic uh, from Brazil. I know he'd love to win the F2 title that he's he's currently leading the standings and find his way into F1. I know that there's a lot of money behind him, but would that include a seat in Formula 1 next year? Uh, and if not, uh, wouldn't be the first time Chip Ganassi Racing has looked at 
a Formula 3000 champ, GP2 champ, F2 champ, or someone of that caliber to step straight into a uh, an IndyCar seat. So if Pelot were to leave, I do not think uh, CGR would have a problem of any kind finding someone who might not or would not be as polished as Alex talking about a guy with two and a half years of experience though, but he's been just a real quick learner, not a big maker of mistakes, amazing on the ovals. I mean, these are some crazy attributes to hope to find in someone else. No promise that a VK, I lot Drogovic, whomever would develop into all of those things that Polo has become. It's also not like this Ganassi team has been in, hasn't been in the situation before of needing to fill a major seat in either signing a big name or signing someone who they think has some crazy potential and then watching them flourish uh, into just insane levels that were never expected. I mean, Scott Dixon had won one race, I believe, uh, with the uh, uh, Pac West team before uh, things went sideways and he signed with Ganassi. Did Ganassi know he was getting a six-time champ? No. But did the guy have crazy talent and potential to develop? Run down the list. So it's where I think this just a little tiny bit of a storm in a teacup. It's a big thing. But I'm just saying, I don't think this leaves the Ganassi team without the ability to sign someone that is capable of filling alex's shoes and who knows maybe matching or uh, even exceeding uh why don't we move on to eric franklin and i'm going to try and r- just rocket through some of these questions here uh eric you're asking what is the uh, the mclaren team looking for in a one-off test like the one they had with herda um are they wanting to see primarily how the driver works through a test session or is it more about putting numbers on the stopwatch So the McLaren team has not put a specific number on how many tests that Colton will do, Eric, but it has never been a plan to do one test. There has been uh, absolutely, um, absolutely something where they plan to do more and continue evaluating. So for what they're looking for, yeah, they're looking for, for feel, looking to see not only just speed, but also how quickly do you adapt? How able are you to pick up all of these nuances? Um, what's the uh, what's the thing that you're capable of doing that maybe we didn't know <clears throat> that uh, you have that maybe others don't? So really interesting to me to see that he apparently went very well, was quick, adapted super fast which is one of the things that he's known for doing um and they seem to be intrigued so i mean there's a lot more to come from him uh but they just wanted to see hey are you are you game and clearly he was and i expect to hear that he'll be doing some more testing here before too long you know we're going to jump away from all things abnormal and we're going to go to normal here to uh get through the remainder of the show uh, why don't we go with our pal Mitsuki Matsura? So as Marshall Son, since every street race held so far this year has been won by Team Penske, 
Are they the favorite to win the race in Toronto this weekend? Or is it too early to say so, considering that Andretti Autosport and the uh, CGR cars are right behind them at the checkered flag in those races? You 100% Mitsuki need to put your money on Penske for this. Would also have a Colton Herta um, definitely in the mix there. If Will Power or Colton do not win, I will be very surprised. And I mean, assuming nothing wacky happens, just in a straight race, no cautions that change the outcome or anything, just normal run from green to checkered. If it's not Power or Hurton, Hurton, Hurton. I'm not drunk, but just let's pretend that I am. Uh, if it ain't Power or Hurton or Hurton or Power, Colton Hurton. I like that. How do you spell that? Is that H-E-R or H-U-R-T-I-N? Colton Hurton. There we go. Bruiser. Uh, if one of those two guys don't win, it'll be a shocker. The damping, uh, the, the ride control, just the handling within the Penske and Andretti cars on street courses. It's just been nuts over the last 12 to 18 months. So that's the main reason why I mentioned this. Lastly, if you caught Monday's hashtag racing family show, the Twitter spaces show I do with my friend, Chris Wheeler, we had team Penske race engineer, Ben Bretzman, uh, winner of the last time we we're at Toronto in 2019 with Simon Pagino tell us that they had one of their team members who was up in Toronto, uh, needing to renew his visa apparently, and then return, uh, that while there, uh, paid a visit to the track, perfectly legal, nothing against it in the rules, and uh, took photos of certain sections where they felt some changes had happened since the last time they were there. Not uncommon with, you know, harsh, wintry, snowy winters affecting, uh, creating bumps and dips and all kinds of things. So I uh, don't know if the Andretti team or Ganassi team has done anything similar, but uh, it seems like the Penske folks are smart to try and get some advanced intel to uh, then further refine the setups they will uh, roll out here on Friday. Uh, let's see, where do we go here? Mark Sanchez says, Greetings and good health to uh, you and your wife, Shabrell, and your cats, Rocky and Rosie. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate it, Mr. Sanchez. Says, uh, Heading to Toronto this weekend. Uh, we bought paddock and pit passes for all three days. Also hope to get over to Toronto Motorsports and, of course, the Hockey Hall of Fame. Any advice for maximizing our time at the track? Uh, where's the best place to get an autograph, best place to shoot photos, best food and drink. Um, you know, on the food and drink, uh, check with Toronto Motorsports because our man, Derek Koska, he would probably know that better than I, but if you're over by him, uh, I think that tends to be the place in the, uh, expo center ish type area where a lot of good food vendors happen to be, uh, I haven't been there in a little while, so I'm, uh, I probably struggle to give you the best photo places to shoot but also it's occurring to me i've not done a ton of shooting from just general access areas it tends to be uh behind barriers with uh you know indycar photo vest access so i probably suck a little bit there um as i recommend for toronto i've done it and it is kind of it's cool you got grandstands maybe uh, you could climb into at some point in time if you want but walking around and sampling all the various vantage points, it's not so much of a, <laughs> really isn't an outside the track thing. Um, it's all pretty much from inside, but just plan on doing as much walking as you can because there are some 
definitely cool vantage points to watch from. Uh, and also along the back straight, as you get somewhat close to turn three, there's also a really cool memorial uh, that's been put up there, uh, honoring Gary Averin, uh, and also one of my heroes, Jeff Krosnoff, both of whom lost their lives at the Toronto race in 1996 uh, with Jeff's uh, big crazy crash, uh, which then got into uh, the right side of the uh, circuit where some of the corner workers were and uh i think two to three folks were injured uh gary unfortunately one of the amazing volunteer uh workers uh that make the race possible he was indeed uh killed instantly so um if you don't know about jeff you don't know about gary read about them uh please do some googling and um go look at the uh, little memorial uh, that's been put up there um, well worth things. Uh, your main question here, you said you hate to read about, uh, Foyt parking Tatiana's number 11 car of the weekend, uh, because of late sponsorship payments, just thinking out loud here, but this is perhaps an early bellwether and sign of a corporation reacting to worries and uncertainty about what's ahead for the economy in the next year or two, or am I overthinking things? Um, this was a problem last year, Mark. Um, so with this sponsor, so nothing new. Uh, this has been going on for, yeah, a good long while now. And it sounds like, barring a surprise we all hope to get of them coming through and, and money arriving, um, yeah, this is nothing new, sadly. Uh, but it might be the last time we hear of it happening unless they uh, come through and make good. Uh, Keith Lee Say, speaking of Hinch, how would you rate or grade Hinch's work in the booth so far this year? In your opinion, what does he bring that PT didn't? Says, being an older fan who started watching Cart back in the late 90s, I do miss, miss the stories and banter that PT and Townie Bell had. <sighs> I think he's been amazing. Um, the thing is, is I was really sad to see PT go. I know he said it was his choice. Oh, I, fair enough. Okay. But I would rather hear, uh, that an extra seat is being made available in the full-time broadcast booth to include PT and include Townie to go with Hinch. Do I think slash hope that Hinch will have a full-time racing opportunity next year in IMSA? Again, crossing many fingers and hoping that that's the case. Uh, he's been phenomenal. And what he's brought to me, Keith, and keep in mind that, you know, I love, yes, uh, have loved Townie and PT. Not always with PT. He fell off for a little while, but last year I thought he was phenomenal. Wrote about it, said it, etc. Uh, you know, you and I have probably been watching uh, IndyCar for a really long time as well. And I think that what we had was really special with PT and Townie as the two primary kind of color analysts. But there was also a point I felt like maybe two to three years ago where just got to be a little bit disconnected. So what Townsend's last Indy 500, what was it? 2015, 2016, um, 2014. I'm forgetting exactly. PT's was last time he was in an Indy car, what 2010, maybe 2011. Um, just a lot of things had changed 
and a lot of vehicular changes, downforce, and this and that, and just getting to a point to where you'd get those cool old stories and banter back and forth about whatever. But as two former drivers who really had nothing they could offer about the current cars, no specific or, or deeply current analysis about what was happening, what was different, what was this, what was that technique of driving and how this has changed. Like that just started to stand out to me, Keith, as something where you go, okay, boy, I'd love to get a, a more recent driver in. Doesn't have to be a young driver, just someone who you can say, hey, yeah, I've raced one of these things within the last year or two or similar. Um, that just felt like it was lacking. So Hinch has brought that in droves, has brought the insights uh the information the analysis it's just gone to a new level with him there and i'll trade that any day for just banter and stories because what i would want from the former athlete former driver analysts is something where they can break down what i'm watching in ways that without them i couldn't and wouldn't fully understand or better understand what is taking place um Hinch brings that it was missing. And if he's going to be gone at the end of the year, I do worry a bit as to who else might slide in to do that. Uh, Cause I really don't want to see that go away. Jamie Rowe. Uh, you say he's a type one diabetic. Um, I am a macro brew light beer fan. So I have no recommendations on the dark beers you asked for, but in IndyCar, I have one question. I think everyone is underestimating Marcus Erickson as a contender for the title. He's shown strength in all three types of tracks. He's been at or near the top of the standings all year. I think he's actually the favorite for the championship and will win again, perhaps as early as this weekend in Toronto, where my daughter and I will be attending for the first time. What say you? I'll say, I hope you and your lovely bride had a great vacation. We did. And <laughs> again, not a complaint, just being honest. Um, I just technically returned from vacation Monday morning, and here it is, 11.42 p.m. on a Tuesday evening, and I've it feels like I need to recharge my batteries again. Um, all right. I'm in total agreement here. I am not sure if I would position Marcus ahead of Joseph Newgarden or Pato Award in my current, oh, geez, watch out. They are on a title run type thing. But I do see Marcus as being right in the mix. He's leading the standings going into Toronto. It's not a giant lead. He's been either Ganassi's top performer or number two performer all year long for the most part. He's locked into a great place. I mean, if we're going to talk about the Polo thing quickly, you know, this is Tuesday. We're a couple days away from opening practice. You're probably listening to this on Wednesday. Um, what are the conversations like between him and the team uh, today, tomorrow, the day after? Uh, does all this get resolved and everything get super happy? Uh, before we go racing in uh, Toronto. As PT shared with me in an interview we did, in a piece we did late last week about the Andretti meltdown at Mid-Ohio, talking about Rossi, hey, he's leaving at the end of the year. They're probably going to start, you know, locking down information and what they might have, you know, spoken to him about, of hey, uh, we're going to go to 1,800-pound springs here uh is that going to just turn into hey let us know how you like this rear spring change and tell me if you want to go up or down because we sure as hell aren't telling you what's in there right now 
or what's going in after we make the change or tire pressures or toe or anything else that, you know, we, we would hope you wouldn't bring to your new team, but uh, we're just going to make sure uh, that information is not being passed on. Does that start happening right away with Alex? I mean, I absolutely have to believe he's now going to be treated as a threat by the team, uh, stripped down information to a bare minimum, and just generally viewed as someone who uh, they would not tank, right? They wouldn't say, oh, well, hey, we're running well, but uh, we're going to you know, maybe uh, take an extra few seconds to make sure you get all the fuel uh, and, and uh, jeopardize a win or a podium or whatever else just for the sake of being petty. They would not do that because keep in mind, although he is their current driver, they also have sponsors that predate him that expect uh utmost performance so uh, a team would not any team a quality team would not even consider uh dialing their drivers finishes or speed or whatever back but if you're looking at someone where you're going hey i can no longer trust you you have said you don't want to be here uh and and kicked off some pretty crazy stuff here uh that's where i think where Polo is fourth in the standings, not too far behind Marcus, and certainly more than capable of mounting uh, another championship run. I do wonder where this change in relationship status, <laughs> uh, uh, how might that affect things this weekend? And then, hey, guess what? The following weekend at Iowa with a doubleheader, and then again the following week. I mean... Things get pretty busy here. So it's more that where I'm wondering, Jamie, does some of this drama and and whatnot with the 10 car, um, does that actually make things a tiny bit easier for Marcus um, if there's a little bit of uh, troubles or, or lack of maximum efficiency with um, at least the closest in-team contender as he tries to hold on to that championship lead and go get himself his first title. So I'm with you. Absolutely. He's a contender. I'm still looking at one or two others who I won't be surprised if they end up with the Astor cup at the end of the year. Uh, Chris Ward went to a ball game on Sunday and they had beer bats. What novelty vessel would you like to see frosty beer served in and why, you know, I don't know if it's a beer bat, but I'm just wondering, like once we get to, the second generation IndyCar aero screens. Is there a market for like, you know, total like garage sale, buy the old ones off of us, maybe cap the ends, turn them upside down, fill them with ice. And can folks have like the coolest IndyCar aero screen, um, like beverage cooler. I don't know if you put the aero screen on a little kind of, you know, rolling cart or something like that, uh, lug that around behind you. And uh, just have all your, your Frosties in your AeroScreen um, little rolling cooler fridge buddy. That's my thought. It's a bad thought, but that's my thought. Uh, let's see. Jamie Carr. Says, I was at Mid-Ohio enjoyed seeing the tech inspection process. I've seen it before, but how many times do the cars go through during a weekend? Is it required at certain times when a specific thing is done? Um, says, hopefully you get a chance to say hi in person in Iowa. Well, let's make that happen for sure, Jamie. It's one of those things where it obviously depends, but yeah, uh, cars will go through tech, uh, before they hit the track. Um, that's all required. 
Uh, you'll tend to see them going through, uh, if not right after second practice, free practice, whatever you want to call it, before qualifying. Um, uh, tend to see them go through before qualifying as well. Um, and then absolutely before the race. So, yeah, I mean, three, four, five times a weekend at minimum, I would imagine. Uh, but again, keep in mind, this might not, you know, these aren't always the full top to bottom nose to tail inspection. Sometimes it could be uh, just a very simple thing of, hey, uh, we just made this change, rear wing this or ride height that or whatever, and just want to make sure that we're still clear here. Uh, Galen Puccini, you say, Marshall, love the episodes and all your hard work. Thanks, man. What are the rumors of Danny Ricardo coming over to IndyCar next year? What are my thoughts? Well, if I had recorded this yesterday, it would have been a really straightforward. I don't have many thoughts because the team has confirmed that uh, good old Daniel Ricardo and Lando Norris will be paired yet again next year in Formula One. Uh, after today's little bombshell, hey, uh, I won't count anything out. Could Daniel be coming over to race in a new McLaren NASCAR program? Hey, I'm like, there's nothing that will surprise me at this point. So my thoughts are, uh, they've said that he's driving over there. Uh, there's certainly been plenty of rumors just within the last 24 hours of who could it be? Could Vettel be going there? Could whomever? I, look, I have no idea. Uh, this has been asked many times over the last month or two. I've said the same thing and I'll stick with it. The guy's earning, you know, whatever it is, a, a zillion dollars in F1. He'd be taking one of the world's greatest haircuts to come over here. Um, I would imagine he'd want to stay in F1 if McLaren decides they don't want him. I don't admittedly know how many other teams would be rushing to sign him coming off of a poor time there. So if there was nothing there, uh, does he look to a NASCAR? Uh, is Trackhouse Racing his new home or whatever else? I don't know. Uh, would it be IndyCar? Maybe. Um, but again, Maybe he also says, I've earned a lifetime's worth of money. I could drive for $3 million a year. Um, I don't know. Uh, I just don't know. Uh, Austin Sutton, you ask a great question here as we get very close uh, to saying farewell. And, hey, this episode's not totally crazy long. That makes me really happy. Uh, you said, considering buying tickets to Laguna Seca for my first IndyCar race, I have a one-year-old son who is a huge Will Power fan. All right, you gotta, you can't, you can't just leave that one hanging over the plate, Austin. You've got a one-year-old who has somehow declared uh, he is a huge Will Power fan. How? Tell us how. That's amazing. Uh, you clearly have a savant, or I don't know what you have as a child, but if his communication is at a level at one where he can effectively let you know Will Power uh, is his guy. That's amazing. Anyways, you say, but I'm worried about the noise. Any idea what decibel level we should encounter or any advice you can give? Uh, it's going to be over 100 decibels for sure. Probably, let me take this back. Uh, I don't know what all is going to be on the calendar there. Is it just open wheel? Is there some sort of, you know, GT or touring car or something else that might be, could be local, who knows what. But are there other things on the docket that could be louder than an Indy car? Maybe. Generally, about 110 decibels is not uh, totally out of the realm of what you should expect. 
if you will happen to see photos of your son's favorite driver and his son, Bo, uh, especially since even when Bo was a real baby baby, anytime you'd see Bo, or I think anytime you see any drivers with uh, their, their very young sons or daughters with them, you see big old cans, big old uh, ear muffs on them. And so that is just what I would recommend. So, and I see that on, you know, kids and strollers and babies and that kind of stuff. Uh, I don't, you know, I see that somewhat frequently enough uh, in wherever it might be uh, where sound is a thing. So I would hope and think, Austin, you'd be able to, with great ease, find uh, some sort of hearing protection for your son and for yourself. Uh, And if your spouse is going to be there with you, hopefully with your spouse and anyone else as well. This is coming from a guy who somewhat recently lost about 40% of his hearing in one ear and it has become a uh, absolutely avid user of the custom um, earplugs that I had made during the month of May by the amazing, amazing uh, she's just amazing. Her name's Dawn. She was introduced to me by Bo Barfield, uh, former IndyCar race director, uh, now IMSA race director, saw him at Long Beach, and he was like, oh, yes, I'm sending you to Dawn. And she took amazing care of me, and yeah. So uh, anyways, that's my recommendation. Uh, as we get close to saying farewell, uh, we have one of the stars of the Prue Day, uh, just one of the stars of life in general, a woman who just fills the world with joy and mirth and sunlight. And uh, she goes by Cassie Johnston, but her real name at mama underscore G force. Uh, she says, Hey MP, one of the TV broadcasts a few weeks ago, they mentioned that Connor Daly been doing the majority of the sim work and setup work for Ed Carpenter racing. That got me to thinking how valuable of a skill is that to have in a driver? He also asked, do teams actively hunt for drivers who can do setup work? Awesome question here. So as I have learned over the recent number of years, being an amazing driver of race cars on a real racetrack does not necessarily translate to being amazing in a driver in the loop, uh, sim type scenario. Probably not revealing anything crazy that you wouldn't already know, but the more I speak with the veteran drivers, the (laughs) more I hear from them that, yeah, I'll go do the setup work in, you know, the DIL or the, whatever it is, I'll go do it. But eh, a, I don't love it because it's not what I've been accustomed to. I've been accustomed to climbing into, uh, my, my real race car and doing it, but also, uh, one thing I've heard from a number of amazing drivers, this also extends to, you know, sports car side as well. The skills required to do amazing sim driving and work can be very different to the skills required to get the most from a race car on a real racetrack or in a motorized competition. And so that's been an interesting thing. So the benefits coming out of, uh, again, the, the driver in the loop simulators and such, it's real. It's real, 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 real. But as some of the veterans have told me, you know, 
I've had to just develop an entirely different driving style to do what's needed to make the most of this simulated driving tool. And so I struggled and was garbage and offered no value and gave what proved to be incorrect feedback on what to do and what to change and what to try. But as I started to figure out more about how to get the most out of this simulator, that's where, again, the value in feedback improved and the quality of the setups improved and so on. So I just, I really do find that interesting, not instantly transferable. And so back to like the super captain obvious statements, Hey, guess what? Uh, young drivers who've grown up with sim- air quote simulators at home, it might just be a thrustmaster and a laptop, but for the drivers who've grown up with this and only know this, right? It's not something new. They've had to figure out halfway through their career. You often hear how they are just amazing and it comes naturally to them and they deliver amazing results. To the final point of do teams actively hunt for drivers who can do setup work. And if we're limiting this to uh, the, the DIL type environment, um, I know of this. Yeah. So when you say Connor, for example, like this is a skill that he has. And so the team makes ready use of it. Uh, most drivers these days in IndyCar have done and will do DIL work. Um, whether it's and just an opportunity of, hey, you know, so-and-so has some time, um, head out to the, the Chevy simulator in North Carolina or the Honda slash HPD one in Indy or wherever it might be, the Delara. Um, hey, if you're going to be able to go and learn, you know, what the big thing right now, for example, uh, for those who've never been to Toronto, and there's quite a few in the field because it's been a couple of years since we've raced there, that's been the big learning point. Um, when I spoke with Marcus Erickson recently, he was telling me like, yep, uh, that's what I'm doing. Cause I don't want to show up cold and have no idea about the flow and the bumps and all this. So actively searching for those who can do that work. I hear more about that in F1 Cassie than I do in IndyCar or elsewhere. And that's because drivers are tend to be super busy and they're 10, you know, not only do the racing drivers tend to be super busy, there also tends to be so much to work through and figure out and test and try that having dedicated sim drivers uh, is very much a thing and very much a job. Some of them we know about uh, who are, you know, paid a, a decent wage to drive a virtual race car and uh, test the things that the team wants them to in a virtual capacity. Uh, so yes, over there, lots. Over here, not so much uh, in IndyCar. Uh, Cody Oakwood, what are the odds you give to the uh, 11 Foyt Chivikar hitting the track again next year, this season? Good Lord. Why am I talking like I'm drunk? It's 1159, by the way. Uh, what's the rumor been hearing for just a little while now that Max Chilton, uh, is going to drive the car and he's going to bring Gallagher sponsorship. Uh, okay. Um, I, I would be surprised if it isn't out for a couple of races there's only eight left but i know that there were a lot of drivers in the Foyt transporter over the weekend at mid ohio um where this topic was discussed i've written saying that i think benjamin petterson uh indy lights driver talented indy lights driver who just tested for hunkos 
who was meant to test for Foyt, but um, that didn't work out in that instance. But uh, do I think that Benjamin could make his debut at, say, the Indy Road Course race coming up here uh, at the end of the month? I do, but again, we'll see. But there's one other point, too. I don't have the exact number, but I know that a handful of crew from the 11 car were let go that a number of them have interviewed for other teams this week or will interview and hopefully get uh, picked up. But that's the main thing that comes to mind here. It's one thing to say, hey, we're parking this car, but keeping the people. If you let a decent number of the crew go, uh, I don't know how you staff that car if those people have gone to work for other teams. Uh, Sam Anadiotis, you are the penultimate questionnaire um been a while he says hope your vacation went well um so you touched on this topic previously but is the toronto race being used as a sort of a test for nbc putting the race on peacock and could you see more races in the future being put on peacock uh, what's your opinion on it uh you say i wouldn't actually want to see more races there but uh it wouldn't surprise me uh with the way networks love their streaming services now to do that you also mentioned thankfully my favorite dark beer is Great Lakes Brewing Oak City Oatmeal Stout, only available seasonally in the winter. That sounds amazing. It really does. Uh, I love me some oatmeal stouts. The answer to this, uh, my opinion on it, I don't know if my opinion matters uh, on this one, but the, the answer to this is let's talk Sunday night. Let's talk Monday morning or afternoon once the ratings come in. It's going to be terrible. Uh, by comparison, to a seven, eight, nine hundred thousand person audience, you would get maybe even slightly over a million uh, on NBC, uh, or the who knows three, four, five hundred thousand, maybe six if it's really good that we've seen on cable. Uh, the USA network numbers haven't been great this year. I think we've all been on there what once so far, something like that. Um, haven't been great, but yeah, this is going to be brutal. So that's the thing we're looking for. Whatever that number is, it's going to be a couple hundred thousand people. I hope, I hope, I hope, uh, if it's not, that's going to be crazy. What, I mean, what is it going to do? It's going to tell us how many people really, truly love IndyCar because this is not necessarily super easy or convenient for those who aren't accustomed to going to Peacock to watch opening practice session or qualifying or whatever else. Uh, this is going to be a big change in viewing habits for the non diehard, you know, already got my peacock thing figured out type audience. Um, that's the thing where I cannot wait to see what that number is because it's going to be very revealing. Just temper expectations on it being amazing. Um, the other component to this, assuming that the number is not awesome, is you're going to have IndyCar as a series, every single team, all the team principals, all the business development people, all the you name it screaming in any car's ear saying do not let this happen again whatever you do do not let nbc either put us on peacock again next year or if it only happens once fine do it at toronto it's our one out of uh, the good old us of a race and some of us really don't even have a lot of big sponsorship for it because it's out of our traditional market that our sponsors are uh, buying into so um i think these are the two things to just prepare for uh, whether NBC agrees or NBC says no. Uh, as Sam mentioned, uh, lots of 
networks are moving in this direction. So, hey, one was a test balloon. Next year, it's going to be two or three or whatever. Like, like you, I wouldn't be surprised, but I don't think it would come without a big old fight. Uh, we're going to close with our pal Kurt Pose, uh, trackside worker as well. Full respect to Kurt. Uh, you're saying this is a resubmission, and that's why I'm reading it because you put resubmission in front of it, and I don't want to let you down again. Um, you say, are any Chevy-powered teams going to tweak their strategies after the recent rash of failures? Uh, what would be the next race in the calendar for engine mileages uh, and their changeouts? As it seems, uh, this last race was the one where the motors at the end of their mileage were the ones having the most problems. Uh, you mentioned, I don't know, can we expect more drama this weekend? We'll find out uh, what the changeout uh, plan happened to be between Mid-Ohio and here. Uh, we'll find that out here before too long of how many teams were indeed uh, at or near their mileage limit. Uh, on the Chevy side, for sure, imagine Honda would maybe also fall into that category too, knowing that they are are behind in the manufacturer's championship not so far that they couldn't win it but getting to the point where you might just start favoring fresher motors and maybe better results in dealing with the grid penalties later than not and risking popping a few but i don't think there's any real strategy to change here kurt uh i think it's just a case of sounds like the ones that were pretty close to being changed out those were some of the ones that had the problems and knowing Chevy, uh, they'd probably call for those changeouts leading into Toronto. Guessing Honda would do the same as well for any that maybe were getting close to their uh, goodbye numbers as well. And uh, yeah, I think that's just kind of a natural reaction to such things instead of tweaking of strategies. Um, I'm looking through the rest of the questions. Uh, there's a lot of great ones. Really, uh, Doug Thompson talking about aero kits. Chris Thompson, uh, curious about the source of the Rossi and Groschamp rivalry. Uh, what else? Beer suggestions. Uh, Trevor Gagola, Atwater Vanilla Java Porter. Thank you, brother. That's beautiful. Uh, Jeff Crow, uh, the the Deschutes, the Abyss, Barrel Age Imperial Stout will never let you down. Um, you, yeah, tons of questions. Uh, Ryan Terpstra, you had, I'm sorry, I said it was the final one. I'm just, uh, uh, Tice, you're asking about sausage curbs. Yes, please make sure we don't use those at all in IndyCar. I know that we did at Coda, but yeah, just make those go away because they suck. Um, you sent one in, Ryan, and you told me you're going to send it in, and I said, yes, send it in. And uh, I'd feel bad if I then totally uh, kind of didn't honor that. Um, uh, so I'm looking for that, and while I'm looking for that, uh, Ryan Caminetti, how you doing, Ryan? You said, uh, uh, any updates about um, chatter regarding car weights and reduction and such? Yeah, uh, nothing really on that right now. I do have a uh, an engine testing uh, update to post here. It's one of the things I was going to finish doing tonight, but that didn't exactly work out. Um, uh, Thomas Gross, you say no question, just a comment regarding the Facebook photo I used to uh, put in the call for questions, and it was of Hinch adjusting his crotch getting into the car. You mentioned there's quite a picture of Hinch. It's frankly, it's just the reason I used it, knowing that Toronto's coming up and he's Canadian and it was him uh, kind of, you know, uh, 
adjust in his junk. Uh, Peter Nutt, has anyone asked Pato Ward for a Chris Wheeler autograph yet? I don't know, but uh, bless the person who has. Um, all right, let me just keep scrolling here real quick. Uh, I hear all of you uh, hitting the stop button right now, but let me just find Ryan Terpstra's question uh, because it was kind of funny. Um, uh, yeah, Ryan, you sent in the one about promoting pit crew. Send that in again next week. Use a resubmission to lead it off, and hopefully uh, Jerry will catch that and make sure that we place it above the line of death. Um, okay, so you mentioned the Colton Herta story. Uh, again, none of this stuff matters, but I knew about the Colton thing last week. Uh, they were, you know, everyone was asked to kind of keep it quiet. Got a, got it, not a problem. Um, uh, mentioned to Ryan last week, like, hey, uh, could be some fun Colton Herta news coming, but nothing, you know, anyways says that it seems odd the way the Colton Herta story broke. Uh, paparazzi shots of the McLaren team in Portimao? Um, so what it was, as I think I have deduced, no, it wasn't paparazzi. Like the thought of like Formula One paparazzi being in Portugal while there's a race going on in Austria, like that'd be amazing if we ever got there. But uh, as I understand, there was a Creventic 24-hour race at Portimao uh, that took place through the weekend, over the weekend. And I believe the person who took the photo, Ben Costanduros, who's, was it Ben? I think, um, I believe he was, uh, an announcer commentator and whatnot for that 24 hour race and therefore in Portimao. And so as happens from time to time, when you have a team coming in to test, uh, off the back of a major event, uh, it's not totally uncommon for them to pull up and, and rock up in the paddock, uh, you know, say Sunday afternoon or right after the race, whatever it is, be staged to move in. Um, and time permitting on whenever the festivities might end with the racing, uh, could they start unloading and start prepping and whatever Sunday night so that everything's ready to just roll up those doors and get going Monday morning? Yes. So I think what happened was just Ben was there, was like, hey, McLaren's here. And hey, uh, that's Colton Herta. And I think that's kind of where this came from. So, uh, that's the best thing that I know. Um, but yeah, that story was never going to hold, but, uh, good on Colton. And it was fun speaking with him this morning. And the best part was Rosie jumped up, climbed over my shoulder and walked right in front of my phone so that Colton and McLaren and dozens of other reporters who dialed into the little WebEx teleconference thing got to see uh, Rosie and her backside uh, while I was uh, asking Colton some questions to lead off the show there. So, all right, it's 12, 10 p.m. I truly need to shut up, finish my beer and go have dinner and then get up because I've got a call with IndyCar uh, race director Kyle Novak at 8.30 California IA to talk about a whole bunch of things. So uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for your questions. Hopefully the upfront part about Polo, which um, I don't know, uh, probably could have kept it really short, but the fact is y'all ask questions and you don't come here for me to just regurgitate 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 nonsense but to maybe go a little bit more in depth so uh hopefully that's all good and i look forward to speaking to y'all soon and i also want to say one more time big thanks to cooper tires the justice brothers torontomotorsports.com and as promised if you want to join the prude send an email to prude rocks p-r-u-e-d-a-y 
R-O-C-K-S at gmail.com. And one of the fine folks there will greet your email within a couple of days and say, come on in. Uh, we usually chat on a daily basis on discord and who knows if they've migrated to any other platforms, but come join in the bench racing and the fun and talking about life, the universe and everything as a member of the Prude. day. Uh, I think Lee Diffie is going to be our guest for the week. We might, who knows, have something to talk about. That's interesting. Like, uh, driver contracts and, uh, sponsors not paying and, uh, IndyCar drivers testing formula one cars. And I still have hope that things might go completely crazy tomorrow. Um, if I'm, I can get, release, I can give you a little bit of a, a sneak preview. Um, we're going to see an announcement tomorrow that Romain Groschon is also driving for RLL next year. Okay, he's not, but I just figure we need more double driver booking announcements and Rocky still wants a snack. So uh, off I go. Thanks for listening. Speak to you soon. <laughs>